When uh, Haley was baptised, I said to you that uh, I'd like to talk about baptism, what that baptism is and so on. So this morning, I thought it would be a good morning to do it. We had a, a guest speaker last week. We've got Gary here next week. So I thought this is a nice little sandwich where we can talk about uh, baptism and what baptism is. Um, we used to run a course um, years ago called Foundations, and I'm hoping to kick that off here. Um, I think it's in Hebrews 6, the writer of Hebrews speaking to the Hebrew church says I don't want to lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, baptism so on. He goes through a list of things that are foundational to our faith and so what I'm hoping to do is in, in somewhere down the track I'd love to uh, bring that uh, uh, little training thing here, little course here and run that here. We used to do it in our old church for about half an hour before church on a Sunday. Went for about eight weeks, something like that. Uh, but it just covered foundational stuff. It's amazing how many of us, we can sit in church our whole life, but it's amazing how many people don't have basic foundations in simple Christian stuff, you know, such as repentance. What is it? Faith towards God. What does faith towards God actually mean? Um, uh, baptism, you know, what is baptism? What is the power of baptism? Um, when we lived in India, there were so many uh, houses dotted all over the landscape when we lived there. And what people would do is they would, uh, they would, would either start a project and then run out of money. And so you'd see all these cement slabs, nice strong foundations and the walls, half built and then nothing. Because they would run out of money. They didn't count the cost before they built these, these buildings, you see. But then there were other buildings where they just slapped down a really poor foundation and then they built this building on top. And the building structure might have looked fantastic, but over time the corners would begin to sag and sink. Over time walls would begin to bend, floors would begin to crack because the foundations weren't laid really, really strong. I think the Christian life can be like that. I think sometimes we want to dive into the deeper, more spiritual things, what we perceive the deeper, more spiritual things of God, and we neglect the foundational stuff of our relationship with God. Um, baptism, to me, is, is one of those very foundational things in our uh, walk with the Lord and in our uh, Christian journey. If you've got a Bible there, turn to Acts chapter 8 for me really quickly. I just want to read a passage of Scripture <coughs> where Philip... I'm going to give you a few different um, verses today just for your own look at. I know people like um, Dell love to bring a notepad. Pauline does too. So I'm going to give you guys some extra verses to have a look at. But starting in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 38, it goes like this. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, I'm reading, by the way, from the New Living Translation today. Uh, reason being, it simplifies very clearly and, and, and methodically some of the things I want to talk about today. We're going to end up in the book of Romans. Who's read the book of Romans? It can be a very complicated book. Uh, the New Living Translation makes the wording of Romans quite simple to understand. So that's why I'm reading from this today. Uh, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. I love that. I don't want to preach on that today, but I love that, 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 that Philip's going about his life. There's a carriage over there. Philip's not going anywhere near that carriage until the Holy Spirit says, go over to the carriage. I like that. He's listening to God. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I understand unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. 
And the passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Now watch this. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What's Philip telling him? Philip's about to tell him what we would call the good news about Jesus or what we would probably term today the gospel message. The news that Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected for our sins. He's about to tell him this. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? I'm going to throw something out at you. The only reason that the Ethiopian eunuch would come to that conclusion and say to Philip, there's some water, what's stopping me being baptised, is because the message of the good news is closely linked and tightened in with this whole thing of baptism. There's no mention there of what Philip said to him. But for him to respond in such a way, I think it's fair to assume that somewhere in the gospel message, Philip mentioned the importance of baptism, of of being baptised in water. Let me give you a real brief history of, of baptism, real brief. The word baptise, just so we know, it's not an English word. Okay? The word baptise is actually not an English word. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, baptizo. And it was never translated into the English language because back in the day when they were translating the Bible, there was a fear that the church leaders would be angry at the translators if they translated that word. So the word was never translated. What the word actually means, literally, is to fully wet or to dip. It means to fully wet or to dip. It was actually used in, in reference to blacksmiths. A blacksmith used to get a piece of metal, and let's say he had a piece of steel, and he had to fashion it into a... a, a, a um, you know, a hoe to dig the ground. And he would belt, he would smack it with his hammers and, and so on while it was red hot. And then he would dip it into the water and it would come out a different product. It would come out different than when it first went in. It was also used in the dyeing industry when people would dye cloth. They would take a cloth, uh, just like you would today, you might take a white rag or a white shirt and you would immerse it into a bucket of blue dye. And you would bring that garment out after time. And when it went in, it went in one colour. When it came out, it came out a completely transformed garment, a different colour. Same with the blacksmith. It would go in one way, it would come out another. That's what the word baptise meant. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.17, I think it is, where it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old things are past and all things have become new so the picture that it's giving us is that we start out as one thing then we go into the waters of baptism we are immersed we come out and when we come out something has happened something has transpired there's been some sort of transaction that has taken place when we come back out Over time, the concept of infant baptism was brought to the attention of the church. Many people in the early days of the church fought against infant baptism. Uh, I don't baptise babies, I dedicate babies. Reason being, because if we want to go to the word of God, there is something that precedes baptism all the time in the Bible, and that is repentance and faith. So to be baptised 
There must be repentance, which can only be done by that particular individual. You have to make a choice based on what you know to repent, to do a 180, to turn away from your own life, turn away from your sin, turn away from doing things the way you want, make a choice to walk towards God, to put your faith and trust in God for the remainder of your days. When we make that choice, baptism then has immense and incredible power. That's why the early church farmers fought against infant baptism because their argument was that an infant can't make a decision to follow Jesus. So you're watering down the power of baptism. We can dedicate a child, but how can you make a decision to walk in baptism as the Testament presents if you haven't first made a conscious decision to turn your life over into the hands of God? And we see that right throughout Scripture. It's not just in this one situation, but we see it right through there. Now, sometimes in this modern day, we can have a very blasé attitude, I believe, to the things of God. We sort of act as if God's up there in heaven and he's going, well, you know, times have changed. You know, can you imagine God sitting up there on his throne going, times have changed? Leaning <laughs> on the edge looking down like this. No, well, you know, it's a different day and age now. Times have changed. People are less disciplined than they've ever been. Everybody's time poor. And after all, it's all about grace anyway. It doesn't matter. So don't worry about repentance. Don't worry about faith. Don't worry about praying. Don't worry about fasting. And don't worry about Bible meditation. Oh, and just forget that thing called baptism as well. I think sometimes we can have a really blasé attitude to the things of God. I don't think that the spiritual world was, was erupted when Twitter was invented. I just don't think it was. I don't think Facebook, through God's plans, his purposes and the way he does things, out the window. You know? I think God communicated to the angels throughout the world in the spiritual realm before Facebook came online. I don't think now they've all got Facebook and Twitter accounts and God just goes, I've got a quicker way. I'm just going to post it and they can all just get it, pops up on their phones straight away. They can all know exactly what I'm saying. The natural world may have changed. Technology has advanced. People may have changed in the way that we process things. The amount of information we have, our world views, the stuff that's at our fingertips, the speed of what we do may have changed, the speed of how we travel may have changed. But the spiritual world hasn't changed from way back in the Garden of Eden. There's no evidence anywhere in the Bible that says the spiritual dimension of the world has changed, spiritual principles have changed, spiritual power has been watered down over time because it's just not necessary anymore. Because times have changed. There's no evidence of that at all. That's why we need to make sure that we are getting our cues from the Word of God and not from what might be popular culture. Okay? There's too much popular culture that... It, look, if we want to take our cues from popular culture, here's my firm opinion. One of the reasons why the church is so powerless today is because we've taken our eyes away from this. We're looking at so many other things. We've moved away from simple trust and faith in the Holy Spirit. We've moved away from going to him first, saying, how do I deal with this situation? What should I do? We pick up manuals, books. We listen to podcasts. We do all kinds of things. And our relationship with God is almost like a hearsay information. Now, somebody else hear from God for me. Tell me what he's saying. And we look at the church world today. I think about the story in Acts where Peter and John are walking to the temple, the gate beautiful, and the man's laying there begging. And he looks up at them, expecting to receive something. And Peter says, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk and pulls this man to his feet. That's power. That's God. Fortunately, I think the testimony of most of the Western church today is silver and gold we got tons of. So here's some money. Go and see if somebody can help you. 
I want to be a part of the church that goes, you know what, I don't care if I ain't got silver and gold. If I've got the power of God with me, there ain't enough silver and gold to beat it. Amen? There isn't enough stuff in the world that can compensate for doing things the way God wants us to and drawing on his spirit and creating environments in our world where he can do supernaturally, spiritually, what he wants to do. Nothing beats that. Nothing beats that. And linked closely with our salvation, according to the Bible, is this thing called baptism. And according to the word of God, baptism, it was so important that it's intrinsically linked right throughout the book of Acts. You go back and you read the book of Acts and you see how many times was the gospel message presented and the response of the people was, we want to get baptized. Why would they respond like that unless baptism was intricately linked in with the message? Now, we're not saved by baptism. The Bible doesn't say we're saved by baptism, but it does communicate to us that it's the next logical step for a person who is genuinely saved. Because there's something powerful about it. There's something that happens in the spiritual realm around our world at that moment in time of baptism. Three things. I want to to share with you three things that I believe about baptism based on what I read in the Bible. First one is this. Baptism is not optional. Baptism is not (laughs) optional. If we do a real quick look through the book of Acts, go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God falls on the day of Pentecost and there's a large crowd there and Peter gives one of the most bold and in-your-face messages I've ever heard or seen. This Jesus who you crucified, you did this, he's done this and so on. He gives it to them. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, it says this, Peter's words pierced their hearts They said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized. In other words, repentance, faith, and be baptized. It was the very first gospel message ever preached was repentance, faith, and be baptized. This is New Testament. This is after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Why repent? Well, because we know there's power in repentance. We know that it opens the way for God to come in. Why faith towards God? Because we know going forward, that is life. That is what our world is about. Faith towards God and going forward. Why baptism? Well, because it has just as much power. For some reason, in the the lives of the early preachers of the gospel, baptism was so intrinsic salvation that when they would go somewhere and preach, it wouldn't be great, just let's get saved. And the very straight away before they walked away from them, they had to say, now we've got to do the next thing too. Let's get baptized. Let's get you baptized. There's something powerful about baptism, and it's not optional in the New Testament. Go to Acts chapter 9. Cross the page, Acts chapter 9 and verse 18. Acts 9, 18, when Paul got saved, who used to be Saul, it says, instantly when, when he was praying for something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, he regained his sight, then he got up and what? Was baptized. Paul the apostle got up and was baptized. Something happened, whatever. Did somebody say he had to? I don't know. What I do know is this. It was intrinsically linked with his very salvation was that he went and he got water baptized. Keep on going in the book of Acts. Acts chapter, chapter 10, where the gospel first goes to the Gentiles, to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 48. Even as Peter was saying these things, as he was preaching the gospel to Cornelius, this Gentile man, it says the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. These guys have got the Holy Spirit on them. They're speaking in tongues and praising God. Isn't that enough? Well, apparently not. 
Apparently that even in itself was still not enough. Baptism was still important enough for these guys to be led to the waters of baptism. It goes on and it says, Then Peter asks, Can anyone object to them being baptised? Why wouldn't Peter go, you don't need to be baptised now. I mean, the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You're saved. You're even speaking in tongues. And I'm not getting into the theology of that. I'm just saying it's one of the manifestations of the Spirit. It's not the manifestation. But it's one of the things that can happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Point being this, the Holy Spirit was clearly evidently fallen upon this person who had not yet been baptised and Peter didn't feel the need to go, that's enough. He still said, you guys need to be baptised. Why? Because there's something intrinsically powerful and important about baptism. Are we seeing a pattern here? Acts chapter 16. Go to Acts 16, verse 31 and 32. We see it again. This is the Philippian jailer. He's in the jail and and Paul and Silas start singing and praising God at midnight and the earthquake comes and the the, the doors open and everybody runs and he's going to take himself out because he thinks he's lost the prisoners and Paul and Silas, no, no, we're in here. We're in here. He runs on in and he's in awe by this powerful God that can shake prison doors, that can open uh, gates and set people free. And he says, what have I got to do? What's the story? And here's what he says to him, Acts chapter 16, verse 31 to 33. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. So everybody heard. He wasn't saying you get saved and everyone saved in your house. No. They shared the word of God with him, the jailer, and his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were what? Immediately baptized. I'm seeing a pattern here in the early church. Repentance, faith, and baptism. There's a pattern here. Baptism is not just a religious ritual that we go through. Are we seeing that? It's not just something that man decided, hey, this might be a good thing we can do. You know, some people think that baptism is just the way that you become a member in your local church. If that's all baptism is, why is, why is it so much emphasis? Why is it so intrinsically tied to your salvation in the Bible? If all it really is, it just means now you come to a rise. There's so much more to it than that. And you know what? We downplay the power of it because we don't understand the power of it. To many of us, it's just what you do when you get saved. No, it's not just what you do. There is a power to it. There is a reason why we do it. You don't just eat breakfast because it's what you do when you wake up. How many of you know there's a reason why you eat breakfast? It gives you energy. It helps you maintain balance. It kickstarts them. There's a reason why you do what you do. It's not just we just do it. There's a reason why we get baptized. Baptism is not optional. Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were what? Baptized. Can I stop there? Are we seeing enough? It's consistent. Matthew 28, what did Jesus say? We call it the great commandment, the great commission. What did he say? He said, go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature, teaching them to obey me, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Is Jesus trying to say something to us? Is God trying to say something to us? Baptism is not just an optional idea, something you do if the weather is right and you can find a free weekend in your calendar. That's the way we treat it. That's the way it gets portrayed. It's just something that you do when you got the... A bit like Nacho Libra, you know? 
I have a concern. I've got the belly, I could do that. Why have you not been baptised? I have not got around to it. Wow. I haven't got around to doing something that is not optional and that has some kind of intrinsic power in it. Otherwise, the early church, they didn't waste their time. They weren't just saying things for the sake of it. They weren't going, now, now that Jesus has gone, what kind of like, traditions can we come up with here? Let's start a few family things. Why don't we just dunk people in water? Yes, that's a good idea. There's plenty of water around here. Don't do it in those rivers. They can come out with three heads. But there's plenty of clean water we would do things in. Baptism is not an optional extra to our Christian faith. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptised will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Faith is the only means to salvation, not baptism, which is why he doesn't say uh, he who does not believe and is not baptised isn't saved. But what he's saying is the logical conclusion for someone who is saved is that you would go through the waters of baptism. Amen? The logical next step for you in your journey with God is baptism. I know lots of people who wait 20 years into their salvation experience before they decide to get baptised. And I don't know all the reasons, ins and outs, but what I am scratching my head going, if, if we're going to be biblical and if we want to be the people that God wants us to be, and maybe I think part of the problem is probably the way we present the message. Maybe it's us people preaching it that we're not putting enough emphasis on, you know, it's, it's okay, you're saved. You've given your heart to Christ. Now you need to take 12 weeks of courses. Take 12 weeks of courses, you know. You need to deal with this issue. You need, I need to see you consistently coming along to my church. I need to, you know. And then a year later, two years, five years later, hey, do you want to get baptised? I wonder if all that other stuff, maybe that other stuff would be made a bit easier if we got them into baptism because maybe there's some kind of spiritual dimension to baptism. Maybe there's some power that is released at the moment of our baptism. I just want, I'm just spitballing here with you, throwing some thoughts out for us to think about. The first thing, baptism is not... Optional. The second thing I want to say to you is that it's transformational. Baptism is transformational. An exchange takes place spiritually. You're not just getting wet in front of your friends. You're changing the spiritual environment around your life. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. Romans 6, 1 to 11 says this, and I, I, I realize I've gone for a little bit already, but I'll, I'll run through this quick as I can. But I want us to get this. Number one, it's not optional. <laughs> Number two, it's transformational. Here's how it works. Starting in verse 1. Well then, this is Paul writing. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? No, that's right. When you read the book of Romans, it's a logical step-by-step understanding of the Christian faith. That's what Romans is. He takes us on a logical journey down the path of our salvation. That's why in a lot of versions it's kind of complex, but I love the New Living Translation because it it tries to make it as simple as possible. Verse 2, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? What an interesting thing to say. Have you forgotten the powerful transaction that took place when you were baptised? Have you forgot it? Have you forgot it? 
Maybe for some people, they never knew it in the first place. But he goes on here, and I think he's talking to a bunch of people that at one point understood that baptism was not just a case of getting wet. There was a spiritual dimension to it. And here's what he goes on, he says. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Did you know that? When you were baptized, you died. You were buried with him. And you rose with him. It's not just saying that some symbolic thing to make you remember the death burial. It's saying spiritually something happened, something broke off your life because you died. Something that had a hold of you spiritually when you were alive in yourself was broken at that point. You went in dead, you came up resurrected into newness of life. There were things hanging off you, slowing you down, pulling you back, attached to you, taking you away from the life of God, taking you away from the plans and purposes of God, And when you went down in those waters of baptism, he says, when that water came over you, something changed in the spirit. Because the same person that went down didn't come up. So it's almost like the demons are there going, I've got a hold of you in this area, that area, this area. You went down and when you came back up, they couldn't see you because it was a totally different person. Spiritually speaking, something changed in the waters of baptism. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism... And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. He's saying that that moment of baptism, something happened where you died, and when you came up, you're now living a new life. You're now living a new life. And he's writing to these guys going, have you forgotten that? You're going back into old ways. You're falling back into old temptations. You're falling back into old patterns because you forgot. You don't have to do that anymore. You were set free at that point of baptism. You were actually set free. You don't need to be like that anymore. And he goes on and he continues with him. Since we've been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know, watch this, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our life. Your sinful self was crucified. It's not saying your sinful, it will be. He's saying it was. This is the power of baptism. Your old sinful self was crucified with him back there. It was. Spiritually speaking, that's part of what took place. Spiritually speaking, that thing that tries to grab you and gravitate you towards sin and drag, it was broken. What happens over time, we forget about that. We forget about it. Maybe we trip up at some point. We go, oh, no, it's back again. Oh, no, I'm not really set free. Instead of standing and going, no, I am free. The sin nature is dead in me. I have power over this. I can resist this. And moving forward in newness of life, The devil gradually draws us back to the same habit patterns, the same ways of thinking, the same ways of living. You see? He just drags us back. So Paul's saying, have you forgotten what happened? For a while there, you were flying. And now it's like you forgot that there was a powerful transaction. You forgot that you you died to self. You forgot that you were alive to God. And we're not just talking some theology. We're talking practically the spirit of God, the power of God is with you. He has cut ties off you, things that were dragging you back and given you a chance to run forward. But the enemy whispers and he chips and he digs. And before you know it, doubt creeps in. We drop our faith and we give him access again. Or maybe, maybe we just surrender to the fact that, oh, no, I wasn't set free. Maybe I'm just on a high for two weeks. Now, hang on a second. Spiritually, something happened. It's not just about how I feel. Spiritually, there's something happened. And by faith, I've got to stand on that. 
I've got to believe in that. That's what takes place. There's a transformational aspect to it. He goes on, he continues. Since we died with Christ, we know we'll also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11, he says this, So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God. You should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin. How many of you today woke up and said, You know, I consider myself dead to sin. Or how many woke up today and go, I consider myself somebody who struggles with sin, somebody who I can't beat this thing. He starts by going, Have you forgot what happened? He ends by going, Now consider yourself. Consider that you are dead. Some versions say, reckon yourself dead. Others, others, others say, consider yourself to be dead. In other words, see yourself as dead to sin because of the power of what transacted and what happened in your life. See yourself that way. How many of us see ourselves that way? I hate that bumper sticker, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. I know the reality of it, I know it's true. But it's also a cop-out. I have things in my life that I struggle with. But you know what? There's nothing more Jesus can do to set me free. It happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. I'm not saying don't get counselling. I'm not saying don't get prayer. I'm not saying all that stuff. What I'm saying now is until you can see it, you won't be it. Until you can see it, you'll never be it. You want to sit there and think, I'm always going to struggle with this. I'm always going to, you know. Well, maybe you will. Is that the plan and will of God? I don't want to play God and tell you what. All I know is this. Something powerful happens at that point of baptism where we go into the water a slave and we come out a free man. This is what Paul's trying to say to them. Have you forgotten? I don't know about you. Maybe some of you have been baptized and maybe you forgot. Maybe when you got baptized, you had no idea that it was anything more than just getting wet in front of your friends and somebody prayed for you. You know, in India, when, when people get uh, 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 baptized, we used to do baptisms. We'd go into villages, preach the gospel. People would give their hearts to Christ and we would take them out and we would baptize them. The first thing is baptism's not optional. Second thing, baptism is transformal transformational third thing baptism is testimonial it's testimonial we would take people they would get saved and we would take them down to the river and we would baptize them in the river to them it wasn't i'm going to get wet in front of my friends and they're going to pray for me to them it was everybody in the village is going to see me associating myself with the death burial and resurrection of jesus and from this moment on i won't be able to wash my clothes on that rock with the rest of the ladies i'm going to have to go another kilometer downstream from this moment on, I'm not going to be able to drink from that water hole there, from that well, get water from there. I'm going to have to find another source of water because that's, I'm, I'm now associated with Jesus. So I'm disassociated from a lot of the things that are in my Hindu village and my Hindu culture. There was a price to be paid for these people. But it was an association with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. It was testimonial. You know, we've kind of replaced the power of that a little bit with everyone close their eyes, bow their heads, just put your hand up in quiet so nobody sees you so nobody knows that you want to stand for Jesus (laughs) I'm not saying don't do that what I'm saying is that's our modern day version of the testimonial is just put your hand up in front of a group of people who aren't looking at you look it's great I know a lot of people get saved that way I've got no problem with it if that's the way to, to get you on the journey great I'm not saying don't do it don't walk out of here saying I'm saying don't do it what I'm saying is, is th- th- that moment of public declaration of faith was what baptism was. It's what baptism was. In Jewish culture, when people came to get baptised, it was their way of saying, I have decided from this moment to follow the will of Yahweh for my life. 
Remember in the book of Matthew where John the Baptist is baptizing. He says he's baptizing a baptism of repentance before Jesus died. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and wanted to be baptized. And he looked at him and he said, you brood of vipers. Go and bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, you have not decided to follow the will of God. I'm not baptizing you. Jesus came along. And John says, I can't baptize you. You're Jesus. You should baptize me. Jesus goes, no. You baptize me because that's the right thing to do. It's the moment in his life where historically we see the plans, the purposes, the fulfillment of the will of God. Before that, we don't know a lot about Jesus. But at that moment, he did what was right within his culture and it was a moment where he said, I am now choosing to follow the will of God for my life. That's what baptism was. It's testimonial. It's the old song. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's what it was. So baptism is not optional. Christy, jump up on the keys. We're going to finish up. I got your name right. Got the name right. So baptism. One, it's not optional. Number two, it's transformational. And number three, it's testimonial. I want to ask all of you a couple of questions in this room here this morning. Maybe you have been baptised. Maybe you haven't been baptised. Maybe some of us got baptised and we actually had no idea what was going on. Well, I, just, I want to say this to you. You have been baptised. Don't feel like you've got to go and redo it. But understand the significance of what happened. Go home, read Romans chapter 6 for yourself. Go home and read Romans chapter 6. Something happened, a transformation, a transaction happened. Don't belittle it. It wasn't just some nice, pleasant thing you did. Maybe you haven't been baptised. Can I encourage you to think about what I'm saying today? Because baptism is so intricately linked with salvation in the New Testament for a reason, for a purpose. There is power attached to it. There's power attached to it. I know when Jackie got baptised, she was in YWAM at the time, and when she got baptised, she came out and the Holy Spirit came upon her. And some of the gifts of the Spirit began to manifest in her life. I remember baptising a guy down at Shores Bay some years back, big, burly, tough guy. Went down into the waters of baptism. When he came out, he hit the deck, couldn't move, and literally felt all this stuff leaving him because it couldn't stay there. He's a new man. There's power in this process of baptism. The best picture I can give you of baptism would be look at the life of Moses, baby Moses. Baby Moses was born a slave. He was born a slave, as all of us were. His mother placed him in a basket, put him in a river. He went down into the water. Pharaoh's daughter sees him, pulled him out of the water. He went into the water a slave. He came out a free man. Not because of anything he'd done, not because of his own power. He came out with provision. He came out to a place of authority. He came out into a place of power. He came out as the head, not the tail. He came out above, not beneath. People, that is the power of this thing that we call baptism. If you have not been baptised, I want to encourage you urge you seriously think about it and do more than think about it come and see us let us know let somebody know you haven't been baptized because there's power in baptism there really is it's like a kickstart i don't know all the ins and outs but i just want to share those thoughts with you but it was important enough that right through the book of acts the first 30 years of the church they said you need to repent 
You need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to be baptized. You need to repent. Put your faith in Jesus. Be baptized. You need to repent. Put your faith in Jesus. Be baptized. It's important enough for them back then. I think it's important enough for us in 2018. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for, uh, God, just your presence with us, God. It's It's beautiful, God, when you manifest yourself the way that you have today. Lord, that's why we gather together, Lord, to, 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 to be with you, to hear from you, God. And Lord, I pray for each person in this room right now. God, if, if, if those that have been baptized, Lord, I just challenge them with the words of Paul. I say, now consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. Lord, to those who have forgotten the power of that moment, or maybe those who never understood it, Lord, I pray for them right now, God. I pray that you would open their eyes to, to see God and to understand that it wasn't just about getting wet in front of friends, but something supernatural happened. And Lord, teach them how to walk in it. And God, I pray right now for those who haven't been baptized yet. Lord, I pray, stir in their hearts, Holy Spirit, stir in their hearts. God, not that they'd get baptized because they heard a message on it, not that they'd want to do it because it's in vogue or cool or trendy, but God, they'd want to do it because they understand in their heart that it's something that you want for them. It's part of your highest plan and part of your highest purpose for each of us is that we would be baptized, we would associate with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus through the waters of baptism, Father. And Lord, I just pray as we go from here today, God, Lord, bless every person in this room, God, more than anything else, bless them with your presence, bless them with your word. God, bless them. Um, Father, bless them richly in spiritual things in life. And God, each of us here, give each of us an opportunity in the next seven days to speak to somebody who doesn't know you and to tell them how good you are. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've gone a little bit over time today, so I do apologize for that. Normally we finish bang smack right on 12, but... Uh, it'd be, be nice and spiritual of me to blame God, but I, I, I did it. <laughs> I did it. Have a great week. There's still some tea and coffee over there. Don't feel like you've got to run off. Remember, it's our house now. We make the rules. So you can hang around. If, if, anyone, if anyone would like prayer, if anything that's been, been said today or you feel the Lord's spoken to you, please, we will keep a little bit of uh, uh, space up the front here for people that like prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a fantastic week. And uh, bless you all. We'll catch you later on.